on, guys. My name is Moore Milo. I'm Ross Underwood. And this is the 52 Podcast. 52 weeks, 52 books, making every single week count. Thank you guys so much for joining the channel this week. For those of you that are new, what we do here is we read books and we go over business news. And what we do is we bring you guys all the keynotes and all the things that you need to know. This week, we're going over a book by the name of Drive by Daniel Pink. It's all about motivation. It's our 17th book, 17th episode. Thanks again for joining us. Before we get into the book, let's go ahead and go into some news today. Ross, what are we talking about? So we're going to talk about some streaming services. So awesome. talking about Sling, YouTube TV, um, Hulu TV. So a lot of these Netflix. companies, Netflix, a lot of these streaming services that have come out. And one thing that we're noticing is obviously how they're disrupting the market. So you're seeing... Um, there was the app wave where every company wanted to get their own app, and you're starting to see that with ABC, NBC. Um, almost any company is trying to come Disney out with Plus, that. Disney Plus is the newest swim. one to get in there. Um, and what you're seeing is almost the, the breakdown of traditional TV. You know, you're not seeing a lot of people keeping their normal direct TV subscriptions and things like that, where they're more opting for these monthly subscriptions that are canceled anytime, no commitment, lets you be flexible, lets you move, and you don't need any equipment either. None of these are really requiring you to have someone come out and put a dish on your on your roof or bring one of the receivers there. You can just simply log in using the internet and you're done. You can take it on your phone, your tablet, just about anywhere. Um, so when we're looking at news for that, it's really looking at like a disruption of a traditional market. And we've talked about, you know, what these have done to TV in the past. TV is really almost becoming the radio of the previous generation, where mm -hmm. a lot of times you're not even watching it, but you want it on in the background. You know what I mean? You sure. want to have just something going something on. Streaming, yeah. Just something on. And people will feel weird to be in a room that doesn't have a TV on. It does feel weird to a lot of people at a certain point. I'm one of those people as well. I like to have something on even in the background. I could be on my iPad streaming something on, on Netflix or Hulu or something. But I might, or even YouTube is, I would say, more common for this scenario. But I'll have something on in the background streaming from Sling TV. Um, I'm getting ready to switch to a new company now because I have Sling and Sling is losing channels. It's losing a lot of NBC, ABC. So you can't watch your football. It sucks. Yeah, so they're getting bid out by other companies, the Hulu and, and YouTube, for some of these channels and companies like Sling are slowly getting left behind. And I love Sling. They're an incredible company. Um, go check them out. But that is one issue I'm having. Or when I watch football, sometimes I can't watch it on two TVs. Just football. Other things I can watch all at the same time. So that means there must be some kind of deal they have with the NFL that is changing how you're allowed to watch that, which is interesting. If you're paying for a subscription, you should be able to watch it on all the channels that you're allowed or all the TVs that you're currently allotted. So very interesting to see. So I think the coolest thing for me in regards to the disruption with the screen the streaming platforms for really any type of entertainment, um, whether it's music or television or radio or whatever it may be, everyone's moving to the streaming platforms because they're seeing so much versatility behind it. Um, and if you look at the industry over the last two decades, right, we went from, you know, every Friday night we would go to Blockbuster and go pick up movies and rent them and take them home to never leaving our houses paying $7.99 a month for unlimited subscription to, you know, different viewing platforms that, that are completely disrupting the way and that... now you have way more options as well. Like, so you'd be paying $7.99 for a DVD and you watch it like once or twice and that's it. Now you pay that and you have way more shows than you could ever watch. So not only is it, are we are the, are the disruptions in the way that we're viewing, but the business, the industry itself is being disrupted in the way that they, you know, pay their talent and the way that they monetize their business and where where they're, you know, putting their efforts to be able to find the biggest return. So all of these industry, industries are changing. For example, music. 
For the longest time, musicians, their money came from album sales. But now, in an age of, of you know digital piracy and all of these different streaming platforms, it's changing the way that the industry interacts with mm -hmm. you know with the community, right? Because now these the, these industry professionals, these artists, have to go on massive tours to create the same type of revenue that they were creating from album sales thirty years ago, before they were putting in uh, before everyone was digitally streaming or uh, pirating all the data online. So it's completely changing industries when it comes to um, everything in entertainment because these streaming systems are changing the fabric of the way that the industry has worked for you know decades and decades. Yeah, and I think one thing that is really important to note is the personalization that they're able to get from a streaming service. Sure. Netflix is what, I, what always comes to mind when I think of that. and I, I don't know if you know this, but when you're on Netflix, it's showing you obviously tailored content to what you've clicked on before and mm -hmm. it's finding things that you like. But also, it changes the thumbnail, it changes a lot of the images, things like that, based on who you are. Interesting. So you could be watching, um, like let's say like Goodwill Hunting or something. You could be watching, let's say, any kind of comedy, right? And it can be showing somebody laughing on yours, because you watch a lot of comedy. And it's more likely that you're going to click on that. If you have someone who likes more sadder movies, it'll take that same movie. If it's going to show you it, which it probably won't, but if it will, it might have someone like holding somebody else and crying. So everything is completely tailored down. It's looking for the best clips. It's all using artificial artificial intelligence on their side. But your feed is completely different from everybody else. All the way down to the thumbnails, what's selected, the, a lot of the description, things like that. So it really is crazy how it's like walking into a blockbuster, like you said, but you only have to go down one aisle. And that aisle was specifically tailored to who you are and what you've rented in the past. Absolutely. It's like having a blockbuster that's per perfectly for you. Yeah. So it's, you don't have to wander around as much. You're still going to be clicking around. But you're looking at stuff that it is deemed more... The movie would like more than than the than other people. It's more matching for what yeah. your styles are. It goes based off of the genres. So that personalization, like I said, you talked sure. about, you know, with music as well. Same thing. Like it, if you have Spotify, Spotify Premium, it gives me daily mixes. It pulls music from artists that are similar to what I listen to, and I can just listen to that randomly, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, a um, lot of things when it comes to streaming, they're going to keep keep rising, and I think it's going to be very interesting for us to keep following that that story and that path and see where these go as more and more companies start to follow suit. And I'm interested to see what the next disruption is going to be within that industry because it's just, it's it's coming. You know, for example, Netflix always vowed that they weren't going to, you know, post advertisements on their streaming services, but because they're getting undercut by all their competition, I believe their CEO or one of their, their, their representatives at their office was saying that they might have a new strategy where they're going to lower the price from 9 to 15 or 9 to $19 a month for their subscription service down to about six to ten dollars a month, but also add in that advertising revenue. So it's like it's interesting to see how, for example, in Netflix, the, the first real big hitter in the you know film and TV mm -hmm. uh, space for the streaming software uh, is actually kind of dumbing down to their competition and, and adjusting based on what the market is doing. So I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how these big players are going to adjust look at as, monetize and, yeah and that's, the and that's why you start to see all these companies that are now they're not production companies i mean netflix is not a streaming service anymore right. it's a production company absolutely all these shows that are sponsored by or not even sponsored they're produced by netflix produced by hulu youtube youtube originals things like that they are and with serious their serious own talent yeah and, and with serious their own talent. content and like you said i think the ads will come in because at a certain point everyone's used to the ads from from when they were watching tv 
YouTube now shows you two ads a lot of the time. So it's not going to deter someone coming in there. They're going to be a little annoyed at first, but, I mean, they're going to get through it, especially if Netflix is going to be able to make that much more money on it. It's going to allow them to also create better content, too. And additionally, if a Netflix, for example, can offer a premium uh, option for their clients if they wanted to, that would cost an additional 20% there's, to be no ad with, without ads. spending a lot. Know, like, so Mandalorian, like Mandalorian on Disney Plus, is it's $15 million an episode. So wow. That's incredible. So they're shelling out money on these ads. And, you know, Disney. Disney is always going to be around. They're always going to have money, and they're always going to continue to shell out cash to create amazing content. It's just who they are. You can't mess with Disney. But, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see that everybody's starting to play in this sharing space where, you know, what what's going to happen with these TV networks, right? Like, you got... Cartoon Network, you got the Nickelodeons, you got the Disney Pluses, you got all of these different channels. I mean, I know people that have literally television in their house for one reason, that's for their kids. Yeah. So how is that going to shift the way that we normally interact with cable companies, with you know different satellite dish uh, providers that are available to us, when all of this is available at the touch of a, of a button for mm -hmm. a margin of the cost, and it's all an on-demand, and it's all ad-free, at least for the time being. Yeah. Right. So I think it's going to completely change um, that entire industry, the way that um, that television is viewed. And, I mean, it already has. It's completely and totally changed the way that um, we view content. And I think it's only going to be more disruptive as we continue to move forward with um, nuances in the industry. Agreed. Agreed. So with that being said, guys, streaming, uh, what do you guys think? We would love to know uh, what you guys think the next disruption would be for entertainment, for streaming, for Spotify. Like, are there any particular programs or apps that you guys are using that are forward-thinking that have a new strategy? We would love to hear about that. Uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and move into the main part of the show, which is this week's book, Episode 17, Drive. By Daniel Pink. This is a book all about the psychology of motivation. So um, this book tells us that everything we've known about motivation in a sales perspective, business, whatever it may be, is wrong. Um, it's rather crazy because this uh, idea of motivation 2.0 is something that's very gone over by Daniel um, in this book. And what it goes over is the idea of, for example, sales teams. Right when you say the the if if then yeah. bonus structure where you have if you perform then you will get a bonus right or um, you know influencing people with money as opposed to influencing them with intrinsic value so um, from the studies that have been done by uh, Harry Harlow Edward uh, and it, excuse me Harry Har Harlow and Edward Dicey these two guys I believe in the what was it the, the 19th century yeah. did some cool uh, cool stuff when it comes to uh, chimps and apes and work and excuse me it was probably the 20th century but um, they were working with chimps and apes and what they discovered was that the apes were more likely to achieve the task that they were teaching them due to intrinsic values versus extrinsic values and what that means is that when they gave them a reward for doing the job right they were less likely to achieve the goal that if they just had the you know the feeling of accomplishment and the mm -hmm. feeling of getting the job done internal motivation versus external absolutely motivation. so that's what we're all that's what we're talking about so chapter one we are talking about the rise and fall of motivation um, and what that's all about so Rush you want to go into that a little bit yeah I think the the incredible thing with this book really like I said the the rise and fall of motivation was that a lot of it uh, feels counter because it's this is what we're kind of taught to do. And so when you think of that, it's giving someone like a bonus structure is a very easy example. 
if you sell a certain amount of something, you get um, a certain reward on the back end. So you're getting that external motivation. But what they're showing you is that that doesn't actually help you. It's not going to actually get this person to really work that much harder. Where it's better is to try to understand what motivates them internally and be able to play with that and be able to try to actually maximize them, not only you know their potential in the business, but also maximize their potential as a person. So I think it's very interesting to see that um, a lot of these motivational things that we, we've used and a lot of businesses still use to this day are deemed incorrect in a way because looking at it on a psychological aspect, it's not actually getting the best out of the people. And it's not, it's not built, it's not empowering uh, the community to create for themselves. Mm -hmm. It's giving them an external reason to battle for something uh, and go through the pain of something so that they can get a, a reward that has nothing to do with the actual task at hand. So the biggest thing that, uh, that Daniel wants to get across here is that people are willing to work to create for themselves if you give them that opportunity. So if you empower people to create, then they will likely give you a higher quality product than if you motivate them with money because instead of worrying about the quality of the product and doing it and really wanting that from themselves, they're going to be more interested in the money at the end mm -hmm. and they're going to skip steps in the process. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be hard to get that person to do work later down the road because now they're expecting to get a bonus for certain things where it's like, oh, I don't want to do it now because you're not paying me for it. It's Absolutely. Like, well, you know, that was that was an additional thing for what you were working on. But, you know, now this person is less motivated for his regular task than he was even before. And I th and this is and then that brings up another topic, right? If we've been doing it wrong for so long with all these different sales departments that are bonusing people based on extrinsic um, value that they're bringing to the table, uh, what's the solution? Right, so the solution is actually really simple. The solution is uh, instead of doing if then motivation, do now th or then now. Right, so because if then is like if you sell this amount, I will then give you this for doing so. Right, as opposed to now then now that right now that you've created this, I'm going to reward you by giving you words of praise or by giving you a bonus, etc., etc. What that does is it, it takes the, uh, the the money away from the actual quality of the product because it's not expected by the end. Yeah, I thought what was a very uh, good example, I think very easy to understand, was doing chores as a kid. Mm. Um, it talks about if you have your kids, you should have your kids do chores because it teaches them you know, hard work and things like that. But he said don't pay them for the chores. Don't give them money as a reward for the chores because then it deems those tasks as... Uh, a, like a worse task. That task is not as desirable and you are only doing it for money. So what's going to happen is as you take that money away, they now see taking out the trash as a very low level um, task that they have to complete and without money to motivate them, they're like, I don't want to do this. So they said separate them. Give your kid an allowance, but separate that from the chores. You know, the, let the kid work and under, to understand that he needs to do this to help his family intrinsically he needs to be able to feel that satisfaction of helping his family cook clean whatever it may be versus just doing it for money because it takes away all that family aspect so very interesting to see um, that separation i do i think that's a very very smart way to do it 100 percent, and i think that leads us really well into the second chapter of the book which is the seven reasons carrots and sticks 
often don't work. And the second portion of that chapter is the additional things that do work occasionally for mm -hmm. certain people. So um, we've kind of been talking about this for the last few minutes, which is the concept that dangling the carrot in front of the horse mm -hmm. is not actually going to create long-term results. It's only going to create anguish between the horse and the person dangling the mm -hmm. carrot in front of it. Uh, so the number one thing here to remember is that when you create a reason for someone to achieve that has to do with them, when you empower them to create something for themselves, they're going to give you an overall better quality product than if you were to dangle a carrot in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really just, it's, it's, it's com like you said, it's completely contrary. It's a, it's a completely different thinking. It's reversed in every way. I mean, we're salespeople. We've learned in a system like this for so long. And, you know, it works for some people. And it doesn't work for other people. Now, this is going into chapter three, which is type I versus type X people. Um, you guys have probably heard type A versus type B, right? That's the thing that's that's around. Type A people is usually, you know, the go-getters or whatever it may be. Type B people are less less likely. So maybe also just as, um, you know, driven, but they aren't st as stressed. They aren't as, you know, it has to look a certain way, whereas the A type people are a little bit more controlling and want to see a certain way of doing things. Um, Daniel created his own different types of people, I versus X, and they just stand for intrinsic value versus extrinsic value. Um, and extrinsic value, type X people, are the ones that are going to benefit the most from the, the dangling of the carrot because they think monetarily. They think data-driven. They think, you know, how can I achieve these numbers so I can achieve my goal, right? Now, the studies show that intrinsic people versus extrinsic people overall have a longer longevity and will create more because they are focused on intrinsic values as opposed to extrinsic values that have to do with money and status mm -hmm. and etc. So the intrinsic value has to do with how am I bringing to the community? How am I leading and creating for other people? And is it also making me financial goals, uh, making me hit my financial goals? For example, great example of uh, type X versus type I. Type I is going to be the Warren Buffetts versus type X's are going to be the Donald Trumps, right? So Donald Trump, very much about the money, very much about how am I going to create this business mogul, I am the man, et cetera, et cetera. It works for him. That's what works for him. He was able to build a business the way that he built the business, and you know he was able to achieve now the presidency. Pretty cool. Warren Buffett, on the other hand, looked at things from a communal standpoint. He said, how can I impact the world? How can I, you know, show people what finance looks like and how you can make money in finance over a long period of time? He grew to fall in love with finance and that's why he did it. He didn't do it because he was chasing the money. He did it because that's all he knew and it's what he wanted more than anything in life. And then he was able to achieve. And Warren Buffett is just a little richer than Trump. Just a little. Just a little, okay? A little but bit of a lot. A little bit of a lot. So, so the idea here, guys, is, is a, a, a type I person is created. you got to work towards that, right? Like It's not something that just tomorrow you're going to be a type I person. There are certain things that you can ask yourself and look at in a different way. For example, you know, for me, with Pedal, for a very long time, it was all about the numbers. It was all about the money, right? And then I went through a journey of my own that showed me that it was more than just money. It was also about you know, the vision and what we're trying to create and what is, et cetera, et cetera, how, what people were trying to impact the community and, you know, things along that nature. And it was so much more rewarding. I mean, at the end of the day, chasing the numbers is fun and dandy, but when you're really doing it for a reason, 
the motivation is there. Yeah, it becomes and, more fun. Yeah, and that's something that's very important too because they talked about when they surveyed you know type I and type X people and looked at their happiness and things like that as well. And the problem that you have with type X is you know the famous saying money doesn't you know buy happiness. Sure, and that's very true. These people are working to try to get all the money, but they're not really getting anywhere that's making them happier. Where the type I person at that same moment could be making less money, but they are understanding the journey and they're happy with where they're going. They're seeing the incremental improvements, getting better and better, understanding that, you know, I may not be making a lot right now, but I'm building these skills, getting a lot of things together that are going to put me up for success. And then you're starting to see that. You're starting to see that. And you would see with anything. If you are internally motivated, Think it's like some of the best athletes as well. A lot of them need internal motivation. No Absolutely. one's waking them up at 6 a.m. and tell them to go run. They're waking up saying, I need to run. I need to be better. And those are the people that get farther. There are people that are incredible athletes, but the best athletes aren't always the best players. Sure. So you really have to find those people that are, are motivated. And you can see that in any industry, sports, entertainment, business. The people that are self-motivating, able to get themselves up, get their work done, um, get themselves on a good plan and, and kind of go on that journey. Normally have a better likelihood of succeeding and also have a higher uh, happiness rate, I would say. So very important to understand. So take a look at yourself and try to understand, are you a type I or type X person? And a lot of people are combos of those as well. Absolutely. So, you know, obviously if, if someone puts a big bonus in front of you, you're going to be motivated. To sure, it, no doubt. Everyone still wants some of that. But if you look inside and say, you know what, I'm on this path, I'm doing you know, this for myself to make things work, helping my family, volunteering, things like that, you're really going to see a lot bigger, bigger motivation. And another thing I also want to kind of bring up that was really present in the book is that, you know, yes, money definitely has something to do with everything that you do as an employee, as a business person, as a leader, or whatever it may be. There's always going to be extrinsic things that come into play that are going to be important like money, like a salary, for example. But what studies show is that, you know, the person that is looking for a job has a threshold that at a certain number, it doesn't matter how much higher you go up past that salary cap, if you don't meet additional things that have to do with their core value system, that person is not going to be happy inherently, even if they're making double what their threshold is. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to balance the money as well as the intrinsic, you know, values and morals that have to do with people uh, when leading and, you know, motivating others as well as motivating yourself. Yeah. Right. So really it's what, what, what do I need? How am I going to motivate myself to take that to the next level so that I can live in abundance? Yeah. Right. Um, so the last three chapters that we just went over, that was the part one of the book and that's called the new operating system. That's the first part of the book. It's all about, um, you know, the motivation system. 3.0 versus 2.0 and the next session we're going to go into is more of the method the elements uh, of uh, the system of 3.0 um, chapters 4 5 and 6 are autonomy mastery and purpose those are the three big uh, main components that he talks about uh, in this book when it comes to getting to the motivation 3.0 level so let's go ahead and start with autonomy autonomy means the ability to basically do whatever you need to do and have trust that you know the person that's in charge of doing that thing is going to get it done properly. Um, so there's there are these these things called rows, uh, and rows. Uh, do you remember what it stands for, off the top of your head? Oh man, I know off the top of my head, I can't think of it too. So basically, a row is a system where you have uh, basically a staff that is completely free to come and go as they choose and have deadlines to achieve I love as life goes on. So this is, this is this is one hundred percent. This is something that we use with pedal. Um, when we were running pedal for a very long time. Autonomy is giving your 
people the rope to, to work and to do what they're supposed to do. Uh, you know, it was a great example of what he used here is, you know, when you're working with high people, high level people, do you really need a leash? Right? Like a long leash is great, but do you really need the leash? Yeah. If this person is hired in, if you brought this person to do a specific skill for you and you trust them enough to do that skill, why not let them do what they're supposed to do and do their skill? Why not give them the space to be autonomous and have deadlines for when they have to achieve those particular skill, or those particular tasks and those things have to be done, but why not give them that autonomy to work when they need to work and how they need to work? And a row is basically a situation, like I said, with a staff that's completely autonomous to work whenever they want, come and go as they please, everyone has a key, they do whatever they need to do. What they learned is that it's much more effective to empower people to work in a rose type system or an autonomous type system because it gives them it empowers them to want to create quality work. Yeah, I, I honestly I think this is a like I said we did it with pedal as well. The the logic behind why we did it that way was uh, first off everyone was working pretty much two jobs, so that was one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. But um, we just had to give people good deadlines because some people are better in the morning. Some people like for myself, they know I like to get a lot of my work done at night when I get home. Put the headphones on, work from, you know, about 8 at night to 2 in the morning. That was, like, when I would get most of the stuff done. Um, and it's very effective because it lets people feel um, in charge of their own tasks. They're able to set their own schedule. And there's something a little bit better by saying, like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm going to sleep an extra hour today, though. I'm going to go to the office a little bit later. But I know what I have to get done. I'm going to get everything done. If I have to stay an extra hour later, fine. But I'm going to be in a much better position all day because... That extra hour went a long way. So, you know, maybe you just couldn't fall asleep. You watched a scary movie. Who knows? But instead of showing up to work and now you're tired and you're like, oh, man, why am I here? You're just spending a lot of time trying to wake up and get things moving. When you're able to say, you know what? I have to get these things done. You get a lot more done. So with this, you know, if Moore was planning at 6 o'clock at night that he was going to get some work done for Pedal, he knew all day what he had to get done. By the time he sat down, he's like, all right, I'm going to knock this out real quick. Let's do this. So you're getting... Not only do it, does it normally take less time for the task because you're way more motivated, but I think the, the quality comes out better. Because like you said, why bring in someone who's got an incredible skill and you're kind of trying to jump all over and micromanage them? Let them work. If you micromanage too hard, you lose creativity. Absolutely. You know, the only downside I will say though, and this would only be if you have multiple divisions that you're running with this, is that it does get hard to collaborate sometimes. So like if I'm waiting on something from you on like a Tuesday... You know, thankfully, I work at a later time than you, so you can get it to me. Sure. But if it's flipped and you need something on Tuesday, you might not get it until super late. Fair. That's so that's the only downside, which in that sense, I should do it Monday. So when you have deadlines, understand that, you know, it doesn't matter really when they get it done during the day, but make sure they have a deadline that matches up so that you can continue the process. You Absolutely. So, you're, so you're, the rest of your team can play together. And, you know, I think the biggest reason why this system seems so weird for us is because over the last hundred years... You know, in America, for example, manufacturing is so important, right? If someone wasn't at work at 7 o'clock in the morning in the line, then you have a massive hole. You have a hole in the line. Like literally the entire facility is at a stop because this one person decided to be late. Now, in a new system like we work in today where the majority of the jobs that are held in the States are ones that are have to do with creativity, have to do with sales, have to do with, you know, white-collar work. But, there, I mean, there's obviously the mechanics and there's the, um, you know, blue-collar workers that are all over the place. But in this particular space where we're looking at creative work, you know, 
punching a clock and not allowing people to have the autonomy to live their lives and promote pro, pro, produce the best possible work is really just holding you back as a company, as a person, and whatever it may be. So we're not living in those times anymore, guys. There's, there, you know, we're not. One piece of the puzzle isn't going to stop the whole machine. The yeah. machine can run together cohesively with an autonomous system throughout all of its parts. Yes, yeah, simply put, it's a results-based system. You know, it, it doesn't matter when you get it done or however, as long as you get it done and it's good. And, and by the time that we say that we get it done. Yeah, by your deadline. Right. Um, so that's autonomy, guys. Autonomy is exactly what you think it is. The ability to be able to work autonomously within a bigger structure. Mm -hmm. um, second part is mastery. Uh, so mastery is all about really just nose to the grindstone, understanding what you're doing and how you're doing. Yeah, I think this is probably, and like I said, as we get to these, some of these are going to get a lot more simpler to describe. Mastery, they use an example of Tiger Woods. You know, he was a prodigy, you know, from a young age when he was golfing. Even after, if you asked him when he was young, he's like, I want to be better. If you asked him after he won his first major, I want to be better. After the 10th major, I want to be better. You can never become a 100% master. You never can truly master something, but that's what always drives you to try to be better. And the way to get there is to have almost like purposeful practice. So we say this, but to continue on the golf example, we golf, and a lot of times when you go to the driving range, people are just standing there with a bucket of balls and just swinging all day, doing nothing. They're just swinging. Oh, that, how'd it feel? Good. Okay, cool. Great day. They got nothing done. More nodes when we go to the driving range, we have a game plan. Like today I'm going to work on my chipping. I'm going to try a few different things. I'm going to record it, look it back over. I'm going to work on, you know, how are my hips moving when I'm chipping? How close am I getting to the target? Then maybe do a best of 10. How many of those 10 do I get on there? And practice. Make it purposeful. So when you leave, you can say, all right, I got a little bit better. My hips are moving more. I, I got the ball closer and more accurate um, more times in a row. So that when you leave, you worked on something specific versus just going there swinging with nothing. And you see a lot of this with, you know, other athletes that are doing things. They're, they're going in working on, you know, maybe defense one day or basketball players. I'm working on my free throws today. I'm not just going to go around and dribble around like it's a two-on-two -two game. And when you go and shoot your free throws, you don't shoot ten free throws. You shoot a thousand. Yeah. You know, so the, the idea that you're purposefully continuing to put in the work and to gain additional mastery and something you may already be a master of. Yeah, and when you want to talk about this in a business aspect, let's say you're running an e-commerce site. You know, if you're going to be practicing, quote-unquote, you could be learning about, you know, how other people are setting up their product listings, you know, whether the descriptions are different, the key words, things like that, to try to understand how to make it better, and then test it. Test that uh, product side-by-side -side with another one and see, did it perform better for the same thing that we talk about when we run Facebook ads. You guys have heard us talk a lot about that. Be able to test and be able to see what is really working. So to be able to achieve that mastery or get as close to mastery as possible, it requires a lot of dedication and purposeful practice. So like I said, always understand whatever you're trying to be. You can't just go at it nonchalantly. You need to have a game plan. 100% guys. And with that being said, we can move now into the final chapter, which is all about purpose. Uh, and they quoted a really incredible stat in the book, and I think the stat was something along the lines of every 13 minutes, a boomer is becoming 60 years old. Now, what does that mean to us? I mean, mostly everyone thinks, okay, no one cares. But what that means is that 100, 100 people every 13 minutes are hitting the 60-year-old mark and no, realizing... I think it was higher. It was 100... It was like, it was like millions. Every 13 minutes. Yeah, but it's, it wasn't. It, it was higher. Than, it was almost like ten thousand people or something. Put it this way: there it's are big millions number. and millions and millions of people turning sixty this year. Okay, yeah. millions of them. And 
what we're discovering with modern day medicine is that if you live to 60, you're going to make it well into your 80s. That wasn't the case 50 years ago. Okay. All these people that are hitting that 60 mark are now getting hit in the face with the fact that they have another two decades left of their life. And they are getting hit in the face with purpose. They've realized that they've been living their whole lives for extraneous reasons or, you know, outside motivation. And they finally have come to realization that they want to make an impact in the world. And that's what we get to realize today, all of us, whether we're 60, 90, or 10 years old. Purpose is what's going to get you to where you want to be, not money. Because if you chase the money, you'll end up unhappy with the money and purposeless. And you'll look back and you'll say, what did I do with all that time and all that money and all that influence? And yeah, the, and, impact, there's, impact. and there's a lot of companies as well that are um, putting purpose into their kind of business strategy. Sure. The one we, we always talk about, um, we're not sponsored, Bombas Socks. So if you're at Bombas, so no. what they do, they, they sell socks, which... Okay, great. <laughs> what a company. <laughs> but what they do is for every pair that they sell, they donate a pair um, to the homeless. Oh, that's beautiful. Because I guess the number one item uh, requested at homeless shelters is socks. socks. So that's a way for them to you know, kind of give back and they built that into their business model. And I'm sure as well, they're probably selling more because you feel like that company is out doing good. It's altruist. So yeah. So you want to kind of work with them or whatever. Now, I've not bought any of their products. But I do remember from hearing their ad, it was on ESPN for like a good whole, like a whole week. And, but I, I, it worked. I remember what they are. I'm not looking to buy any socks, but I remember that company. I remember their name and I remember that that was like their little sales pitch. So they're clearly using it to monetize, but it is nice. And there are other companies out there as well. Like the people that are turning 60, they're looking to either start companies or find a way to give back to the community. And like I said, you can start a business and not look at it just to make money. You can do things like that that really give back Absolutely. to the community. 100%. And, you know, listen, the, the, be the beautiful thing about impacting community is the community will want to support you. Mm -hmm. So if you have a purpose that's aligned with the communities and supports that community, they're going to want to put money in your pocket because you see them and you heard them and what they needed and you went and did something about it. So, guys, the name of the game is Have Purpose. Master what you love. Uh, and just do it with everything you got. And if you have a team underneath you, give them the space. Take, take the leash off. Let them do what they need to do. Trust that the person that you put in the right spot is going to do the right type of work. And if you don't have someone under you that you, you, you trust to be able to get these jobs done, then why did you hire them? That's a good point, guys. You remember, they're there because you said they can be there. That's a good point. So now we have no one else to blame for like, I have to watch everything this person does and micromanage, go get somebody else. Absolutely. And go get somebody else, and you can pay the other person more as well. Pay them more money to be able to just do it, and that's going to free you up to be able to work on other parts of your business. So, guys, with that being said, moving into part three of the book, we're not going to give this part away because it's a toolkit. What uh, Daniel has put together is really just a bunch of exercises and different tools that you can use to really practice, like, like Ross was saying, purposefully practice uh, the, the drive mentality when it comes to motivation 3.0. So part three of this entire book is different exercises, different tools that you can use to be able to really understand what's going on when it comes to the motivation and the psychology of motivation. Uh, with that being said, Ross, what did you think? I liked it. It was, um, it was different. It was different. It was very, especially when you look at it with how we've set up our businesses, it is, like I said, it's very counter to what yeah, we, to what very we do. Um, 
like I said, one last example was the blood drive. Uh, how a blood drive, like when, when oh yeah, blood, when they were when you, pay, give, yeah. when you give blood, it's always free. No one pays you for that. So they did a, they did a test to see what would we get more people if we paid people like ten bucks to donate blood, five bucks, ten dollars. Um, and the number went down because now it went from fifty percent to thirty percent yeah, of people that were asked. Now that. instead of doing it from the good of your heart to help people to save a life, things like that, um, they're doing it for money, which. So for $5, it's not worth it to go give your blood. No. But when you hear like, oh, you know, one thing of blood can save like seven people's lives, that's digging into that, that intrinsic, that value. intrinsic value. Yeah, that's, that's kind of motivating you. So things like that. So when you're looking to set up a company, I, I really enjoyed this book because I think it's something that you can really easily implement in your business. I think sure. that this is one of the few books that you can kind of easily look at how you're um, incentivizing your employees and how your company is structured. And I think you can really make some good... Sure, this yeah. this is great as well for for startups. We we love startups because we love that that motivation where you're looking for people that either are not getting paid much or getting paid none, but they're putting in hours upon hours upon hours, and their friends and family won't even know how much they're working, but they're not doing it, you know, for for anything else but to make themselves better and make their team better. Absolutely. So if you have a small company, I would say try to implement as much of this as possible. If you have a larger one, obviously it's going to be more difficult to do. No doubt. But test it. See you know see what you can do as far as you know taking away some of these financial motivations and maybe just you can pay them more on a base salary but find tasks that you think are going to help make them better or give them, like they said, about 10, 20% of their time to be able to work on a side project for the company. So actually that's something we didn't really talk too much about. So I, uh, one of the experiments that was talked about in the book was uh, the concept of giving free time to employees to work on passion projects. Uh, and what they noticed when they offered that opportunity for 20% of their work week, I believe it was Google, right? Mm -hmm. Google is the, the, the one that has a five-day work week and 20% of that work week is dedicated to a passion project or a personal project that has to do something with what they're doing in, in, you know, at Google. So literally, Gmail was a passion project from an engineer that was at Google that with their 20% of their time decided to make an email with Gmail. And it's one of the biggest email services on the planet. Uh, same thing with like Google Earth and a few of the other products that are available. I don't remember exactly which ones, but there were a bunch of them that all just came out of passion projects. So Google paid millions and millions and millions of dollars for their employees to take 20%, 20%, literally a fifth of the time that they're paying them to be there for to work on passion projects. Why would they do that? Because they got things like Gmail out of it. And that goes in back to like autonomy. They let these, you know, these employees kind of work and let their creativity kind of flow and to see what came of it. And like I said, if you have a company the size of Google, especially with the talent that they bring in, there's going to be some good ideas and projects because not only are they doing it for themselves, but, you know, they understand that if they make this at a certain level, that it can have some real value, um, you know, for the company and in the world. So, and think about it from this perspective. If your employer said, hey, I'm going to pay you 20% of your time to go work on what you want to work on. You are going to work more than that 20% of what they're paying you for because you're really passionate about what you're, what you're doing. So just imagine if they could get even a twinkle of that, of that passion they have for their passion project and bring it into your business because they see that you are forward thinking for what they want and they want to bring some of them into your business. Just imagine how much more productive your, your employees are going to be. Yeah, and like it doesn't even have to be a product you know, where these are diversifying their product line. You know, It can even be... You're doing something with homeless shelters or, or things like that. Volunteer work. You know, and anything. that looks good. That looks good for the company. It for looks everybody. good for goodwill. So Absolutely. I, I think, like I said, in conclusion for me, I liked it. Like I said, you can put a lot of this into your business almost immediately. 
So I enjoyed it. Very good read. Very easy read. Uh, six hours or so. Um, and that includes, you know, the ending, which is a lot of the toolkits. Mm -hmm. So we've had some books where um, the last hour or so is kind of like the last one we read was a whole story for about an hour. Um, this one's same thing. You can kind of listen to it and then listen. I would say look at the table of contents when you're getting to the, the last section to see if there's a certain spot that really kind of fits what you're you're looking to try to accomplish. 100%. What do you think? You know, I thought that it brought a lot of value. I thought that it was very contradictory to what I know because I do come from a sales world where everything is if-then. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it's an interesting language and I think that it's something that uh, makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's literally a psychological book. It's about the psychology of people and how they're motivated. So I thought that it brought a lot of value. It wasn't super boring. So it wasn't that psychology book that was super dense and super boring. It was a little bit more light and mm -hmm. fluid. Um, so overall, it was a thumbs up for me. I thought it was a good book. I'm happy I read it. Uh, I mean, last week's book, for example, I really will definitely go back to that book. That was a great one. Um, because it was, it was so impactful. I don't think it was as impactful as that book for me. Uh, but I think the concept of type I versus type X is very important and something that um, psychologically makes a, a lot of difference for a leader in the way that they approach certain situations. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that I learned a lot from it and I got a lot of value out of the book. So overall, thumbs up. Totally happy I read it and uh, super excited for what's next. So with that being said, I think we're just about done for the day. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you guys so much for joining us again on the channel. Again, we love that you guys are following along. Keep tagging and posting and hitting us up on all the platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, etc., etc. You can check us our, our audio out anywhere that you can find audio for podcasts. And guys, this is the 52 Podcast. My name is Moore. I'm Ross. And thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We'll see you guys next week for episode 18. Another book, another piece of news, and another incredible week. Make every week count, y'all. Take care.